Thank you, Jesus, that we can worship you together. And thank you that that is warfare for each other as we glorify you. Thank you that when we're weak, you're strong. In Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking briefly, as Edison Chapel is very new and um, a, a somewhat of a smaller group of people, I wouldn't say it's tiny, but it's enough that we are familiar with each other. And as we move into different phases, and I'm excited in a few weeks to share some crazy exciting things that are beginning to happen and develop for us to give us kind of a canvas to begin painting and dreaming together about greater ways that we can impact and empower this neighborhood and learn from this neighborhood. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about is the culture that we establish here during this worship service and how we treat each other is really important. And I was thinking about um, a little girl who for hours on end would be strapped in her high chair while her parents were passed out on the floor. And this is a space where we can sing while she crawls around and learns that church is where people worship God. And this is a space where anybody's going to be able to come and worship God with us. But as Edison Chapel begins to take the shape of, of what um, we all together feel like the Holy Spirit is leading it to take, all of the spaces will have that same feel and that same nature because that's the nature of our Father. So I wanted to share that because that's what was impressed upon me during worship, and I'm sure there were things that were impressed upon you. So in that sense, one of these days, we should have just have an open mic where we share what God is showing us. But for now, you have a handout in your chair. The second part of 1 John. We did 1 John 1 through 4 last week, and we did it in group. And tonight, I'm just going to talk a little bit about 1 John, and then we're going to have communion together. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. One of the postures of Edison Chapel is that now I'm going to share my thoughts with you about this as I've prayed about it over the week. And you can disagree. And that's fine. And some of that's good because I don't trust myself enough to say, well, I prayed about it, so you better take it. And, and that's not the posture. The posture is that we as a body of people and people who are part of Edison Chapel who cannot make the Thursday night service but still are a part of what we're doing in many different ways, all listen to the Holy Spirit together and move forward with the things that do matter, which are 
Jesus is the Son of God who died for us and rose from the dead, and we're going to share that because that changes lives. So my thoughts on 1 John 5-10 through 10 begin with kind of a recap of last week, and this was awesome because Ronnie and I had a phone conversation about this, and it, was, it, and it actually solidified it more in my mind because um, Ronnie is smarter and wiser than I am. So if you have any questions about my sermon, please ask. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. First John, if you notice, Jesus has risen from the dead. He has imparted his Holy Spirit into believers and then he is, he is gone, and he said, I'm with you through the counselor that I've sent you. And now there's all these people trying to figure out what they believe and understand what their faith is. And so the writing in a lot of these epistles and gospels sounds like creeds. It sounds like statement of faith. It's, it sounds like we're establishing a denomination. And so John does that in the first part of 1 John. He says, that which was from the beginning, that thing that you recognize as life, well, we've touched it. We've seen it. We've looked at it. It's actually Jesus. And right after that, he steps into this passage and he says, God is light. And if you think about it for just just a brief moment, most of us, if you were raised in the Christian faith, or even if you weren't, you understood that there's a claim that Jesus is life, and Jesus is love, and God is light, and all of these things we're just told. But for, for, for the first Christians who are, who are needing these books to understand what they believe, because they're not told it by their parents, because it's all new, this is what John's doing, and you can think how dynamic it would have been. So he says, this is the message we've heard and declare to you, God is light. I wondered why he would say that, and I started to consider the gospel that existed before the gospel of Jesus, which is some news and a little bit of news to me that the word gospel didn't originate with Jesus. It originates with this idea of good news in Rome. If you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, it's really old. Anybody seen that one? Rome had this belief called Pax Romana, that they would rule the the world by the peace of Rome. If we took over everything and taught everyone to live the way that we live, then the world could have peace. And so Caesar was declared as sharing the gospel, the good news of Rome with the world. And the good news literally came into being paved roads when you came into the city, running water in a, very, in a, in a primitive world, entertainment, a money currency, a system of government, a way to have security and at the same time laws enforced, and, and all of this would bring a semblance of peace. And so there would be statements made like, by the hand of Caesar you live and you die, or the Caesar gives you the bread of life, or Caesar is Lord. We tracking so far? Here's what struck out to me. Did some research, and Rome was ransacked in 410, the year 410, 410 years after the Christian calendar began. And there was a quote by a guy named St. Jerome 
when Rome was leveled, he said, the light of the world has gone out. This thing that had opened epiphany and freedom and peace had now been destroyed. But the reality is that language started not with Rome claiming to be the light of the world, but with Jesus when he began to walk that area and say things like, I am the light of the world. And it was very easy for the government of the day. The peace, which was translated into the first world country of the day, is the savior of the world because of the freedoms and the peace that they have. Jesus came into that and said, "Mm, I'm the light of the world. I'm actually the thing that lets you see. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Not your water systems. Not your food transactions with money. Not, not, not the power that the, this, this first world country can give you. I am that and I have a different way of life. And so John is remembering this and he's, he's sharing it with new Christians. And so he writes... This is the message that we have heard from him. And we declare it to you. God is light. In God, there's no darkness at all. And he might be referencing some of the violence that was used to obtain peace. Who knows? But he's saying in God, there's no darkness. There's no evil. If we claim to have fellowship with God, with Jesus, with the way that Jesus taught us to live, and yet we walk in darkness, we don't live out the truth. It means we can claim to live the Jesus way, but if we don't walk in the Jesus way, we learn very quickly that our faith is more than a belief system. Our faith has to be tied up in a lifestyle, and if it's not tied up in a lifestyle, we deceive ourselves and we don't live out the truth who Jesus claimed to be as well. I am the truth. But if we walk in the light, as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another because we're headed down the same path. And it's easy to walk hand in hand in the same direction. And the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Now, when I read that part, in the way I was raised, as a, as a young man, it was like, well, did I have a lustful thought that week? Sin. Did I do a good job reading my Bible? Did I not sin? How did I think of myself when I looked in the mirror when I woke up this morning? Was it holy or was it sin? But really, the Hebrew people and, and any definition of sin during that time would have been more of a, and this is my opinion, Sin being defined as missing the mark. The Hebrew definition is missing the mark. If I put a target on the wall and I throw a dart at it and it does not hit the bullseye, even if it's close, it's sin. It's this enoughness. You don't hit it. And so if we we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus purifies us from missing the mark. And that's like a... That's a crazy, that's a crazy performance-driven call right there. It's like, you better live the way Jesus lived, and if you live the way Jesus lived, you'll be purified from all your sin. And if you don't, 
you're kind of, you know, bad news for you. That's how that would sound. So I wonder then if the Holy Spirit, who's writing this through John, continues with him, and John continues in verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So nobody do that, okay? If we claim we have not sinned, or no, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So do that instead. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word, another, another word that stands out, his word has no place in our lives. So there's this call to live the Jesus way and not the Roman way, to not trust in the first world to be the Savior of the world, but to trust in living the way of Jesus, which actually is a call to die. And, if we, and there's this call to live that way, and if you can live that way, you can be forgiven and cleansed from all your sins, and if you can't live that way, who knows? And then, if you say that you're living that way... <laughs> by saying, I have not sinned, I have not missed the mark, you're a liar. And you make God out to be a liar. And you deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. And it just feels like a catch-22, or I don't know if that's the right word, but it feels like we can't win for losing. And then I think, I wonder... What would have happened when this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I have hit the mark. I've done everything that the Word of God tells me to do. And so Jesus says, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And he leaves sad. And Jesus loves him. And I wonder what would have happened if he would have said, that's a tough call. That's going to be really hard for me. Can you help me? I wonder if Jesus' response would have been, follow me. Because the call to sell everything he had and give to the poor came after he said, I've hit the mark, and he made himself out to be a liar. But the call to Peter, who's in the boat, fishing with his dad, was simply, follow me. And in the process of Peter following Jesus and engaging in the Jesus lifestyle instead of trusting other things to be his Savior, the economy of the day, Peter actually did drop his nets. And he actually did leave his family. And he actually did stumble into walking in the light. But it came with an acknowledgement I have no idea what I'm doing. I'll just follow that guy. And in following that guy, somehow he found the narrow road because he realized, oh, this is the road that Jesus is paving. Jesus is the one with the machete. Jesus is the one blazing a trail. Jesus is the one to follow. I can't do this on my own, but if I follow him, I will find that I'm leaving my net. 
it's so difficult to want to follow the way of Rome and to follow the way of Jesus at the same time. That's our temptation. I think if we're, if we're anything, we're the closest to that. The world's greatest superpower. <laughs> the world's most richest, like the richest economy, biggest military. We feel the safest. And it's so easy for us to trust in something other than the one who calls us to die and, and asks us to say, but I can't die. I, I confess that I can't die. And so I wonder if walking in the light, part of walking in the light, is when I step into the reality that Jesus wants me laid bare and naked before him. To say, here, this, this is who I am. Take me now and help me follow you. That's the ask. So we don't get to come to church and affirm each other that we're following Jesus and that we've hit the mark. We get to come in church to church and say, you're not crazy. I'm not crazy. We're trying. Because Jesus is paving a new trail for us that we haven't seen before and it's hard to walk and it's going to demand crazy sacrifice but it's going to have a greater joy. And that greater joy is the decision we have to make of, does that make it worth it? And if yes, then great. And if no, then go the other way. But even if we have claimed Jesus as Savior, it's still the choice we have to make every day. And this is why we come to the table and when we come to the table in groups to share communion with each other, because we are all priests, as we come together to do that and we wait for people to join us and we offer them communion and we don't treat it like an assembly line because we're acknowledging that we're sharing the body and blood of Christ together, as Jesus said, remember me. As we come and do that, we acknowledge we miss the mark, but we want you to take us to it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And the reality is you're already forgiven if you know him. But as we confess it, we realize that we're walking in the light. And as we walk in the light together, we have this thing called fellowship. And that... I think, is the reason we do church. So, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. Take and eat. And he, in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I think the disciples thought, Oh, we're supposed to remember Jesus when we do this. But the catch is, Jesus hadn't died yet. He hadn't been crucified, and he hadn't risen from the dead. So he says, do this in remembrance of me. And I think, what did they think about? Because we think we're supposed to think about him dying and coming back from the dead, which we are. But I think his disciples would have said, 
oh, I remember Jesus by the campfire after that storm when we were all sitting around and he was teaching me how to share and talking to me about why walking on water is important and why calming storms is important. And I remember that time we went to that tax collector's house who we hated because he had taken like half my family's money and I had to eat with him. And then the guy repented. And I remember that time I went into town to get food and by the time I was back, Jesus had transformed an entire city with the most rejected and neglected woman in that whole place. And I remember that time he touched like a leper and I thought that was supposed to send you to hell. But instead it brought heaven to the leper. And Jesus says, when you do this, remember me. I'm pretty sure that's what they remembered. Today, our friend Sherry prayed with a little girl who, can I share this? Go ahead. I'm going to. If you would have said no, I would have, just, I would have changed it and said our friend Luke and told the same story. <laughs> a little girl at this school who said, Satan is my savior and he makes me do bad things. Which could be a funny thing that a little girl says, or it could be weird and dark. And either way, Sherry sat her down and told her about Jesus. And now the little girl has a new Savior. Yeah. And we get to remember that. We get to remember what Jesus was doing. So, Father, as we come in groups as we come to this table and wait for others to join us, as we pick up the bread and offer it to each other, and as we dip it in the grape juice, help us understand all that you've done for us and all that you're doing for us now. In Jesus' name, amen.